Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. My name is Jeff Schulman, and I am the founding director of the Product Management Center at the University of Washington. And we are on a mission to empower 1 million diverse product leaders to find success in product management and to develop innovations that are inclusive to diverse audiences. And we are here every week with How to Succeed in Product Management, where we bring you some of the best product managers in the world to share their lessons, their experience, and to bring you up on stage and engage in a discussion about how to succeed in product management. Each week, we take a different focus, and today's episode is focused on managing product managers. And I'm joined every week by the amazing Sumeya Benganam. So Sumeya's got many superpowers, but one of which is that I could put her on the fly and at any moment she could explain why a topic is critical, not just to current product managers, but to aspiring product managers as well. So Sumeya, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and why everybody who both wants to get into product management and who's been in product management for years should benefit from this conversation about managing product managers? Absolutely. I think, Jeff, welcome everyone. I'm Sumeya Binganem. I'm a products management leader. Currently, I'm at VMware, but I have been building products now for almost 20 years at startups and large companies, always software. So always happy to talk about the different topics that we builders and product managers really care about. When it comes to managing product managers or managing people of any kind, I think for us product managers, because we do a lot of that influence without authority, we get a taste of that in our work because we're setting direction. We're trying to inspire people. And that's actually the best kind of management is the management by inspiration rather than any kind of authority. Because the first time you start thinking you have authority that will help you manage more effectively is the time you essentially lose a lot of the power and the muscle you have that allow you to rely on highly talented people to do what they do best. So I love this topic of conversation. For people who are not managers yet, it helps you understand the kinds of skills you can start building from now. And you don't have to have people reporting to you to build those skills. And for people who are managers of people, I know that this is a never-ending kind of road to excellence. The only predictable thing about people is unpredictability. And as you try to manage and influence and create high-performing teams, you'll find that you're always learning. And I know myself, I'm always learning. I was learning as a CPO. I was learning as a head of product and will always continue learning. Back to you, Jeff. All right, Sumeya, great to have you here as always. And now is the point of the show where I would normally introduce my co-host, Red, who is absent, but we're going to give him a little shout out. And Red always shares a couple key facts that I'll share. One, that red circle in the title means that we are recording today's conversation, and it is released from the Product Management Center at the University of Washington. We have a podcast on every available podcasting app, you can download how to succeed in product management. Also, what Red normally shares with you is that we, the Product Management Center, has a Slack channel. So if you would like to join the Slack channel, I don't know how Red does it, but somehow he's able to get people on there. Maybe try connecting with me on LinkedIn. And so if you want to ask a question anonymously, you could post it to the Slack channel and we'll ask it of our guests. Or about halfway through in about 20 minutes or so, we will invite you on stage to share your thoughts on managing product managers or to hear from our product managers that we have on stage, next of whom I'm going to introduce my former student and star PM at, oh, they both go off mute, but both of them are my former student, Aaron. Hold your horses. Oh, wow. Very presumptive of me. My bad. My bad. But you were also a star student of mine and a star product manager. And I should have gracefully just turned to you, but I had to be so excited that I've got two students of mine who have gone on to excel in product management. I'm going to turn to the one who's 
been doing it for longer, Jake. Tell us a little bit about your path in product and what you're doing now. Jeff, it's so good to chat with you. It's been too long, but I've definitely been using a lot of the frameworks that I, I learned in your course. So thank you for, for everything that you did for me when I was at UW. Yeah, so for the past six years, I've been managing PMs. When I think about PMs, I'm, I'm usually thinking about product managers, but also program managers, project managers, and producers. My specific area of focus is usually finding myself in new product development and designing products, primarily in the augmented reality and virtual reality space. I'm currently at Axon, where our mission is to protect life, and we're building out empathy and de-escalation training for public safety. And so I get to work with a group of really high power product managers there. And before I was at Axon, I was actually at HTC Vive for about five years working on a new product development and prototyping team called Creative Labs. One thing that Sumeya brought up about leading PMs is about, you know, how you need to be a supportive leader because PMs are such high performing people at their core that, you know, oftentimes as a PM leader, what you're doing is, is not necessarily leading them directly, but you're using a lot of enabling skills to help people that are already super high performing perform at their best. So really excited for the conversation and thanks so much for, for having me. All right, Jake, welcome. And now, Aaron, it's your turn to shine. Sorry about that earlier. But another star student of mine who at the time, I believe, was working in the shoe group at Nordstrom and is now at Qualtrics. Aaron, tell us a little bit about your journey as a product leader. Thanks, Jeff. I'll pretend like my feelings aren't hurt. I'm just kidding. I'm a bit of a um, domain jumper. So I've worked in product management in a bunch of different industries, uh, different sized companies. My first opportunity was in a like a special education and healthcare process management solution. When I was in consulting. I did get to work in Nordstrom in their technology division uh, as a product manager in the merchandising and supply chain group, uh, helping you know open up Nordstrom Rack in Canada. Like there's a big Oracle ripout that that project might still be going on actually, uh, but I got to work on some of that. Prior to joining Qualtrics, I spent the last five years at Amazon, where I got to work at a couple different businesses, uh, Prime Video, which was a fun one. Um, spent some time in an organization called Access Points, which was focusing more on alternative delivery and pickup locations. So I scaled a new pickup network there. Then lastly, in Alexa Smart Home. Um, so going into the devices world, owning a certification program called Certified for Humans, which was the basic premise was getting the people in your life who are not tech savvy to use smart home products. And now at Qualtrics, I'm a product leader for our customer XM for locations, which is the product, the um, solution for physical locations. So any business that has a physical location who needs to understand their customers better is what my product is aiming to do. Jeff was one of my favorite professors at UW. As Jeff said, I got to work with him to take the pricing strategies class in my favorite about Jeff as a professor was not only the really, really great feedback he would give in the case studies, but also he was a uh, relentless joke teller, just a high velocity shooter. And I always appreciated that because even if it didn't land, he kept going. And I appreciated that. It made the class fun. <laughs> I Thanks. love hearing this. Jeff, hold on. Yeah. We need to let you bask the accolades for a second here because... This is not something that happens all the time. Jeff is always <laughs> no. here, humbly giving. We never get to hear this. So, Aaron, thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Like, even though I only got one class with Jeff, it was one of my favorite ones. But yeah, Jeff, uh, <laughs> the jokes were just, I might have been the person who was always laughing uh, just because either they were funny or they're just kept going. Either way, it was great. So it's funny to hear that Jeff doesn't do that in this setting, but you should do it more. <laughs> New segment. Yep, exactly. New segment idea for you. You know, we bring out some bad jokes. There's been a few here and there, but we try to keep it keep it straight and narrow here. Right, Sumeo? Okay. <laughs> we try, but if you listen to some of the podcast recordings, you'll see that it doesn't work like that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Aaron's dangerously bringing me back to some, you know, the vicious circle. I don't know if I, I was telling that when Jake was a student as well, I'm pretty sure. But I don't know if this group's ready for the vicious circle joke. 
Anyway. Ooh, pray <laughs> tell. <laughs> um, we're going to move right along, too. But thank you, Aaron. I appreciate that very much. And it's great. We have not only two former students of mine at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business, but also two people who work at companies who sponsored the Inclusive Product Management Summit that we held in May. So got to give props to Jake, who's at Axon, and Aaron, who's at Qualtrics, two companies that uh, supported our efforts to try to develop a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. Anyway... Nobody cares about that. Actually, I think people do care about that. They don't care about the sponsors, but they care about companies who care (laughs) about these things. But moving right along to now, I'm all I'm all shaken, Sima. If you could see me, I'm blushing here. (laughs) (laughs) We can tell. You're totally humble. It comes through. Uh, Jake, I saw you. You unmuted. Did you have something you wanted to add? Yeah, I mean, I was just talking with my team uh, over the past week and, you know, I just want to echo the the sentiment that it is so important that we build out an inclusive community and that we hire diverse individuals into product management organizations so that we can have every different voice help shape the products that shape our world. And it touches me really quite close because obviously Axon works in public safety and the products that I'm focused on in AR and VR are revolutionizing police training and public safety training. And so just a quick shout out that we're always looking for diverse voices to join Axon in product management roles. So if you are that person, if you know those types of people, reach out on LinkedIn and Twitter and just let me know so that we can continue to grow diverse teams in product management is so important. All right. So on that note, as we're today's conversation is managing product managers. And so you bring in product managers who have different ways of thinking and different ideas that they want to bring to the table. How do you give them enough direction that they're oriented towards what you need them to achieve for the organization and your customers, but also being inclusive and kind of letting them chart enough of their own course to feel empowered and valued? And that's a big question. (laughs) And I don't know if any one of you wants to come off mute and start with just kind of maybe one best practice that you feel that, that you've done that will help people see how you... Uh, give the right amount of direction and the right amount of freedom. I think, you know, I really like, number one, what Sumeya said about influencing without authority. So I think that there is a large misnomer in the PM community about, you know, we are the CEOs of the product. I think that is absolutely false. I feel like that thinking, that humble thinking needs to apply to the people who you're lucky enough to manage too. So I think when I think about like giving agency to the PMs that I work with or that work with me, I think it's making sure they're really clear on what the vision is, making sure that you have kind of set the fundamentals in place for them, but you give them the opportunity to explore. You kind of explain, you know, how the organization is constructed, what data they should be looking at. But ultimately, what you want as a PM is to leave a lasting impression. This is just my two cents, is that you should be able to leave an organization and then the decision-making quality and the impact should still be there. So I think that when you're trying to transfer those skills to newer PMs, it's important that you set them up and give them the tools or the resources they need to be successful. And then you as the leader kind of create the mechanisms where you can check in on it, not to micromanage, but more to make sure that they're getting the feedback that they need at a regular cadence so they can be successful and they don't feel like they're trying to wrangle the ambiguity, which we all have to deal with by themselves. So I think that can be challenging, especially for newer PMs. And then Jake, do you have anything to add as to how do you balance giving enough direction, but also enough freedom with the PMs that you're managing? Definitely. Yeah. You know, it's one of the easy things about being a PM is that you always need to you know, start with the customer, learn from the customer and kind of use that information, mix it around with all of the other stakeholders that touch your product to get to a decision. And so I think when when you are bringing on a new PM to the organization, you frame the opportunity at a high level. Hey, this is what we think we're hearing from customers, but you need to make sure that the new PM gets the space to learn firsthand, learn from the data on how customers are using the product, how they want to use the product, what their expectations are of the product. And then at that point, it's not the manager that's saying, this is what I need you to do. It's actually the voice of the customer coming back through the PM that you've just brought on board and kind of telling you 
hey, this is what we need to do. This is what the product needs based on the customer. Thank you, Jake. Sumeya, anything to add to that about how do you give the right amount of direction and freedom? Yeah, absolutely. I think some of the basics we talk about when talking about high-performing teams apply here too. So there are these five basics that I always talk about, whether you are someone managing people directly, you know, from an administrative perspective, they report into you or not. But the five things are all about, one, psychological safety, two, dependability, three, structure and clarity, four, meaning, and five, impact. So ensuring that the person that that's reporting to me has each one of these five characteristics or elements as part of their job, they can find meaning in their job, that there is some sort of impact that they understand that they're making. There is some sort of structure and clarity around expectations or goals or outcomes that matter. And then I can depend on them and they can depend on me. You know, we're essentially basically the basic thing of when you say you're going to do something or I'm going to do something, there is that kind of clarity of expectations and dependability. And then, of course, psychological safety is all about them taking risks and being able to make the bets that they need to make so that they can get to the outcomes that we need to get to as an organization. So those five basics, you know, I start from there and then depending on the person, we might focus on one thing versus the other. Sometimes we might just focus on the technical aspects of the job so that they feel, you know, that they're able to do what they need to do. And to get there, of course, usually you have to start with psychological safety so that people can even ask for help. Beyond that, it's a, like I said, it's a one-on-one kind of relationship that I build with each one of my direct reports or each one of my PMs to understand what their needs are with the expectation that the outcomes and the deliverables they're responsible for, the expectations are really high there as well. All right. Thank you, Samaya. Jake, you came off mute. Did you have something to add to that? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And one thing I want to add is from a process standpoint, you know, it always helps when you're bringing on a new PM to kind of give those examples, those templates, those kind of artifacts that a new PM can see where things have been and and how they're done so that they don't have to create their planning from scratch. And the important point here is to frame the opportunity to give some guardrails, to give a distillation of those standard processes, but not to kind of box it in to enable discretion for the PM. Because depending on the product portfolio that as a manager you're overseeing, there's all different kinds of products and focuses, whether it's design focused, engineering focused, whether it's a new product or an in-market product. And there is no one size fits all when it comes to detailed process. So I just think it's super important to Make sure that your process, your approach, your product operations are distilled down to the essence, but not overly restrictive for your team. Jake, I love that point you just made because it highlights a very important aspect that sometimes we forget about, and that's onboarding. (laughs) So onboarding new PMs to the team, even if they were new or they were in the organization in other functions or in other business units, onboarding them to expectations or so the frameworks your teams use is important. And I love the point you made around you know, the, the having some guardrails without being overly prescriptive. So allowing some of that creativity and freedom in their ability to do things without creating too much churn or too much new process or confusion for people who are used to certain, let's say, cadences or ceremonies or, you know, the certain things that we all organizationally sometimes adopt. Absolutely. And we have product managers from a variety of companies who have also worked at several companies, each of you. And we're talking about managing product managers. And I was going to dive into the biggest challenge transitioning from an IC to a manager of product managers. But first, I realized that some of our audience might not quite understand 
the distinction between IC and manager of product managers and kind of how an organization is built to get products shipped and delivered. So would one of you be willing to kind of talk about the difference between an IC product manager and then a manager of product managers and kind of how organizations are structured to deliver a holistic products? I can take this one. In my experience, the manager of product managers typically will own either a business capability or they might be kind of like functioning as a GM of a business with PMs reporting them into distinct feature sets. So an example might be in my business today, customer XM for locations. I kind of own that whole product suite, but within that I have PMs who work on like our social listening function or frontline activation, getting more usage out of our uh, frontline users. And I kind of see as you kind of scale up and up, that's typically the org design that I've seen. So as an IC, I might be focused on a core set of features within a broader business. But as a manager of PMs, I might be focused more on something that could be its own uh, P&L. Um, it could be its own business by standalone. Um, and then typically, I would say that the leaders focus a little bit more on longer term horizons. So you kind of think about like three-year planning, five-year planning versus like quarterly roadmap. I think, honestly, as a manager of PMs, you kind of it's unique in that you get your hands into everything. But with ICs, you may be more focused on like the week-to-week sprint cadences, following up, understanding what's happening with engineering and design a little bit more in the details. But I think, you know, again, like kind of what Sumaya and Jake were saying around, you know, creating structure for people. I think that's important as PMs that we always kind of like walk the shoes of the people that work for us. So I think, you know, it's really important to have experience in all those areas. So you know to help and coach the people that you're working with. And so being able to jump in and not letting anything be beneath you, I think is super important. So like when I, the company I worked at before, Amazon, the leadership principle that would map to would be ownership. The people I loved working with always had high, high ownership. And I think that kind of translates to where I work now. Yeah, sorry. A little bit of a a ramble there, Jeff, but hopefully that answers the question. Yeah, I agree with a lot of the things you said, Aaron. When I'm looking at an IC versus a manager of PMs, for me, it kind of boils down to three things. One, what are the expectations of the role? Two, what are the kind of most leveraged skills of the role? And then three, where is your priority? For ICs, it's often said that the expectation is that you are the expert on the product and the specific needs of the product. I think the skill for an IC, it's actually pretty tactical in that you need to be a ruthless prioritizer for your product and for your customer. It's definitely a skill that if you don't have, it's going to be really, really challenging to have a successful product. And then... Kind of the priority is that frequency and level of communication with engineering and design to make sure that you're getting your product out the door in the hands of customers and successful. For for the manager, agree with you totally that there's an expectation of broader business metrics. The skill is more around strategy, vision, seeing across products, but also there's that managerial element of creating the culture of a high-performing PM team, because oftentimes you have individuals who are high-performing, but they may not be a high-performing team together. And then the priority is really just enabling these high-performers to do their best work for your product. So, you know, things like escalation, unblocking, big, messy challenges, and then kind of your information sharing. That's my two cents. Sumaya, anything to add to that about uh, how ICs and managers of product managers work together and what the difference between those roles are? I don't really have anything to add uh, beyond what uh, was shared so far. A rare moment. And now I'm inspired. I wish I could tell a joke about how rare it is for Sumaya to not add anything. (laughs) At least I got a laugh. (laughs) I still have it, Aaron. I still have it. I'm laughing. You still got your fastball. (laughs) Oh, yes. Anyway, for those just joining us, my name is Jeff Shulman. I'm the founding director of the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington, which is a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. And every week at Tuesdays, we are here with a discussion of how to succeed in product management. And today, we are focused on uh, managing product managers. I invited Avijit Tripathi to the stage. He's going to stay quiet because he is furiously uh, 
typing notes. If you're wondering what we said or, or trying to get a key takeaway that we flew by, you could join the Product Management Center Slack channel and Avajit is sharing what he's hearing from us as fast as he's able to write them down. Uh, he's entering them into the Product Management Center Slack channel. So feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, leave a personal note with your connection request, but DM me or you could do back channel here, I think, and I'll try to get you onto that Product Management Center Slack channel. But we have somebody here who's been patiently waiting and normally is the time where Red would make some sort of joke based off of his profile. But I'm tapped out here. So Mikhail Posen, Health and Wellness PM, uh, the stage is yours if you have a question for our moderators. Hey Jeff, thanks very much. Um, so May, I was really uh, drawn to the framework you established of how, what you uh, try to set up for your reports. And one thing I'm curious about is what sort of feedback do you look to have from your members, from your colleagues about success in creating that type of environment? As in, you know what your intentions are and what sort of signals or behaviors are you looking for to make sure that things are landing as well and that your teammates are gradually growing into that type of environment you're trying to nurture for them? What's an amazing question. <laughs> and my answer for that is uh, I don't have the final answer. This is one of the things that I continue working on all the time. But if I was to have a framework under which I would describe the work that goes into this, I would use the emotional intelligence framework. And the reason I mentioned this is because there are four parts. If you want to have empathy or understanding or be an effective leader to anyone, there are really four parts you need to have as a person, as a PM, as a leader, as a parent. And those four include everything from emotional, not emotional, but in self-awareness. So the ability to understand you yourself, what are the things that trigger you, what are the information points you listen to, what your behavior looks like. And then the second thing is the ability to have self-management. So not only do you need to understand yourself, but you need to be able to control or to direct yourself to change behavior as you need it. And then uh, the third element is all about external understanding. So the ability to communicate effectively, the ability to understand nonverbal cues from people, the ability to navigate unspoken rules or unspoken structures. And this usually comes up in the political sense within the organization. So when I think about being an effective manager, beyond those five things I listed as the basics, then it's a personal level. I'm using one of these four things to be able to understand what they need and to give them what they need. Because only then will they feel like they're successful. And will I be able to feel that I've done my best to get them to that point? So that's generally the kind of work I focus on. From a day-to-day -day perspective, what does that look like? It looks like weekly one-on-ones. It looks like, you know, using Socratic methods to get to the bottom of challenges rather than me giving answers. It looks like, you know, listening a lot more than talking. Those are the things I focus on personally, and I try to help my team members be as successful as possible. All right. Thank you, Samaya. And thank you, Mikhail, for that question. Feel free to stay on stage in case we have time. If you have second questions after we get through others who want to be here on stage, this is the part of the show where Red normally manages the stage and invites you up and somehow criticizes life coaches because there was that one time where a life coach in their profile came up here and abused everybody on stage. And it's, it really seems to have stuck with him. But this is now your chance for those of you who are regular listeners and are constantly told if life coach is a uh, what you've got in your bio, you're not welcome on stage. I'm welcoming everybody. But please keep your questions and comments related directly to how to succeed in product management. I'd like to stay focused on managing product managers, but I understand if there's some somewhat uh, tangential questions related to how to succeed in product management that you're curious about. We're going to turn to Richie. Do you have a question for Jake, Sumeya, or Aaron? Uh, the stage is yours. I actually don't have a question. Well, I do have a question, but just to like piggyback off of what Samia was talking about. Well, in my experience when managing other leaders, it's really about like establishing autonomy 
And if you are creating that culture for them to have that autonomy to operate in which you give them a task and you don't need to give them much, and then they're able to execute it to like a standard that you're willing to take on and take assume risk and uh, it's good enough. You know, that's been my experience where those guys were the ones that are pretty good. But as for the question to the speakers, what's the next step after you've established that product roadmap, right? And what's the next step in that you see challenges establishing that product roadmap and then managing those product managers as well? Aaron, you came off mute. Do you want to take this one? Yeah, sure. I think I'm actually going to go through a similar exercise right now, establishing a three-year vision. But then, yeah, what do you do once you land it with your stakeholders? And then you've got you know work to distribute. I think it's kind of like back to what Samia said about understanding your team, people's strengths and weaknesses with their opportunity areas. And so, yeah, looking you know where people are inclined um, to dig in. So I think that a lot of times the way I, t- I like to organize teams is by like capability area or you know something that someone may be drawn to. So I think once you have the plan, you know, as the you know lead PM, you kind of have the overall scaffolding created. You kind of like as Jake said, give the team autonomy to like exercise and just get after it, do a little bit of discovery. I don't know if there's like a, for all of this, by the way, I would echo that like, it's so like when managing people, it's so personal and so individualized. I think like the best managers always kind of can understand that. But in dealing with PM specifically, I think it's like looking towards, you know, what the person already been working on, what their charter was and how that extends into, you know, more than likely like that's been contemplated within the plan. So it's kind of like, writing the plan to give them an extension, um, looking for areas of opportunity for them. I think, as Jake said, you have to be mindful of some of the administrative stuff. So if you have PMs who are coming up on getting ready to level or promotion, um, are there stretch opportunities within the roadmap that you can give them to take them outside of their comfort zone to help round out their skill set? So again, it's kind of like imprecise answer. Um, it's a bit of an art and science, but I always try to look at, you know, what's going to help the person grow as a PM, but then also like as, uh, you know, in their career um, and try to use that as, you know, the starting place for evaluating new opportunities for people once you've kind of got the larger plan nailed. One thing to, to add to that around, you know, how do you take kind of a, something that's an idea on a roadmap and turn it into something more tangible, something that's, you know, a baton that someone else can carry forward, especially if we're thinking about large scale things like new products or massive features. I think that oftentimes it requires doing double time. You're doing your normal role and you're also trying to prove out the feasibility of uh, whatever's on the roadmap. And I think it's almost like, you know, a a fire where, you know, you have the idea of a fire, but first you need to have a little tinder bundle and a spark to start the fire. And then at that point, you can pass it off to someone to kind of tend the fire, shape the fire. And, you know, I think it's important as a leader, especially if you've collaboratively come up with some new roadmap features or products that you frame it, you do the work, you prove it out at a scaffolding or a a high level before you turn a new PM loose. And they may challenge your foundation and that's great. Hopefully they do before you put too much energy into it. But I do think it's really important that before you turn over uh, a new feature or a new product to a PM, especially if they're junior, that you kind of set it up and do some initial feasibility so that they are set up for some level of success. All right. Thank you, Richie. Thank you, Aaron and Jake, for sharing your response to his question. We've got another question here. This one is from Brian Shen, who is in a noisy place. And so he asked this in the Product Management Center Slack channel, which I'd encourage all of you to join if you want to connect with other PMs and see the live takeaways that Avajit is sharing or just share knowledge or find what other people are sharing. So anyway, uh, the Product Management Center Slack channel, that's where this question was posted. Brian Shen is curious how the points made shift if you are becoming a manager of managers in product versus a direct manager of ICs. Specifically curious about how you split your time between strategy, coaching, disseminating information, and going into the weeds to clarify roadblocks. I'll start with Aaron. Do you have any comments to this before we get to Jake and Samea if they want to chime in as well? 
Yeah, I think it's a really great question um, and something that you need to think about, like as you figure out different ways to deliver through your people. So I think the first question when you're managing ICs directly, that can be a challenge too, because you may have been a really, really excellent PM and now you've grown your scope, grown your business to the point where you have other people under you. So you have to figure out how to kind of like imbue your ideas while giving people the you know space to deliver. So that's one. I think that when you kind of continue to scale up and you're managing managers, um, you spend, I think, more time discussing how the team's doing, inspecting like what the mechanisms are to track progress or how things are going. Um, so I would say you should spend more time on coaching strategy and disseminating information, but in less time going into the weeds to clarify. You should have the right you should set up your team so you can get into the details when you need to. But I would say that as you kind of continue to level up, it's important for you to help scale yourself. And to do that, you need to be giving your leaders like room to exercise their judgment. And so I think you spend a lot more time on the people stuff um, as you go higher up, because really what you want to do is shape the person so that they can continue to deliver. And then you really have to trust that you've hired or developed the right people to be in the positions to deliver and trust their judgment. So less time on the details. I would say more on the bigger picture strategic elements. So if Red were here, we'd be trying to stoke some controversy. Sumeya, you came off mute. Are you going to give us the controversy that we crave every week? Or do you agree with Aaron? <laughs> I have. So here's the thing. None of these roles necessarily look the same one organization to the next. And the reason I say that is because, for example, when I was a CPO and also when I was a head of product, my biggest challenge as we were growing and over time was to think about the functional organizational, you know, how did we break up our product teams? How did we organize our product teams? Did we organize them by customer type? Did we organize them by the set of features? You know, like the product managers were focused on onboarding. And then we had another group just focused on transactions. That stuff was the challenging part because when it comes to organizational design, it's not just about you, the product management function. It's also about everyone else you work with, engineering, sales, marketing, and making all those pieces fit together and work well for at least some period of time so that you're not creating a lot of churn. Because in other places, you can just iterate. You can, you know, make a hypothesis, do it. And then think, okay, if it doesn't work, I'm going to shift. But if you do that, when it comes to organizational design, it creates too much confusion that you actually need to sit with it for a couple of years or many more months than, you know, just six months. So that's one of the challenging ones, uh, a manager of managers. And then the second one, I think hiring and meeting with customers takes up a large portion of my time, at least it's it used to. And for that Products managers spend a lot of time with customers, yes, but uh, as a CPO, I had to spend a lot of time with customers also in the pre-sales process to make sure that I was part of those strategic conversations when we were thinking about new markets and new products. So those are some of the areas I think about. Jake, do you have anything to add to this? And maybe give us some controversy. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I like I like Sumeya's approach that there's it really depends, and that's the classic both UW Foster Business School answer, but also a product manager answer. Because until you get into the weeds, you may not know what the actual answer is. That's the right one. So I guess what I have to add is first plus one to Aaron on the fact that trust is just so important and building that throughout your org is so important. But the second piece I would say is that as you become a manager and as you become a manager of managers, you should be getting further and further away from the how, how things are done, how problems are solved and be so much more focused on the, you know, what, what is the problem, what needs to be solved and then communicating that information to your managers or your ICs. A leader should never be telling their highly qualified, highly capable team members exactly what to do. It's totally inefficient and it leads to an erosion of trust across the team and motivation. And so, you know, I just think it's just so important for the top level leaders to basically stay out of it grow a really high-performing team and 
make sure that those people are accountable, but also enabled to solve the big problems facing the product and solving them for the customers. All right. Bold claim that you should never be telling them how to do it exactly. You should let them do their job and you get further from the how. Uh, Interesting phrasing there. Sumeya flashes her blinking light, so she agrees. Aaron, I think, is flashing his blinking light. So powerful words by the three panelists here. Anything to add to that before I turn to our next guest on stage? The only thing I will say, and this is like, here's your controversy, Jeff. It's not because I I agree with everything Jake and Sumeya have said. One observation I've made is that Certain leaders and certain companies prioritize getting into the weeds more than others. And this can lead to, you can look at different metrics of success. But I will say that there was a a VP who I worked for in Alexa Smart Home who probably understood the how better than almost anyone in the organization, which created, as Jake said, not super scalable because everything kind of revolved around him. But as a product you know, person myself, it was really inspiring to work with someone who could get into the weeds. So anytime I was in a bigger, like, at, you know, at Amazon, we do the read it, the memos, so the bigger Docker view, I was impressed most by the VPs or the senior leaders who could, they might not have the briefing, as Jake said, they might be like, you know, thinking about bigger things, but they could dig in with precision questioning and tease out and get into the how and debate with the, you know, PMs, like just like anyone else. So I think there's value in it. I agree that my general management philosophy is you, it should be more based on trust and your people should be making good decisions and you should be inspecting the inputs to those decisions rather than the solve themselves. So I think it's interesting. It's a little bit different at the company I'm at now. The leaders kind of want the distilled, like, give me the the top five things I should care about and put everything else in the appendix. So I think it is one of those, the classic foster, it depends. <laughs> I don't think it's just you, Dub Foster. I think it's all um, higher <laughs> education. We work in nuance. <laughs> all product management. I think all sound yeah. product management <laughs> should start with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're going to get to Amin. Thank you for waiting very patiently. First, Aaron said, you know, managers want to know the five top things. And I want to turn to our three panelists and put them on the spot to just each name one. And we'll go round robin until we come to five top level things, bullet points that people should be thinking about as they are becoming managers of product managers. So what are those five just bullet points, one each? I'm going to put Sumay on the spot first because she's always quick on her feet. And then Jake and Aaron each try to think of one bullet point, that top level, five top things for managers of product managers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know my answer will be unsatisfying <laughs> because it's you actually as a PM need to have this skill anyway, and that's communication skills. The communication skills that you need to develop, understanding who your audience is, understanding how to effectively communicate to get to the outcomes you need. That skill, you're going to use it on steroids when you are a manager of ICs or managers or as a leader in general. Jake, one of the top five bullet points that we're leaving product managers with? Yeah, and it goes back to something that Sumeya was talking about earlier around psychological safety. And, you know, I just, I add that into culture that you create. So culture would be what what I would say is a top five. And that culture is both your team and how people, PMs on your team are interacting with each other. But also it's the culture of your one-on-ones and whether or not you have that safety with your direct so that you can support them appropriately. All right. And before we turn to Aaron, I have to just give a quick plug. We had Chris Peterson, who was the two-time Paul Bear Bryant Coach of the Year. He gave a talk for the Product Management Center at the University of Washington on creating a cultural playbook. So if Jake's uh, call for you to develop a culture. If you want to be intentional about it, check out that video that we have on the Product Management Center website under the Foster the Product series. So Chris Peterson gave a great talk about creating a cultural playbook to align teams and stakeholders towards success. So we have two bullet points, communication, culture, Aaron, keep it going for us. And kind of building on the concept of psychological safety, it's, and this is a PM that I think, I don't know if it's a skill that PMs need, is being able to take feedback so as PMs, you know, obviously your ideas get audited by everyone in the organization. And so you have to be able to not take A, not take it personally, and B, decide what is actually usable. So I think as a jointly transition to manager in, as Jake said, a healthy, I think, manager-employee relationship, you should be getting feedback from your employees. They should feel empowered and safe to do so. And so I think that as a manager, you're going to get the feedback. So being able to deal with 
some of the things that you may hear that could be doing with work. They could be, you know, other things that have to do with this, the job of maybe, more, maybe some of the more administrative things. So I would say like being able to, you know, have that emotional intelligence to understand what kind of triggers you or what your drivers are to like trigger certain emotions with you and to being able to stay, you know, calm and cool when you need to, if it is a little bit of a tense situation. So I think the best managers and leaders I've ever dealt with are people who, you know, always kind of give off this sense of it's okay, I hear you. And like you, you can feel the empathy, but you can have the tough conversations with them too without them getting too riled up. All right. And Sumeya, on to the point number four. Yes. The fourth one that I think is so important is as a manager, you're going to need to navigate organizational politics in a way that you never did before. Before, you might have had to advocate for yourself or for your product, but now you need to advocate for yourself, your products, and every single person on your team. And that comes up in many different ways. It comes up in promotion, it comes up in funding, and if you haven't had to do that before, it's going to be a shock to your system, (laughs) and you're going to ask a lot of hard questions about whether this is worthwhile or not, and you might experience most of your failures in that area. So find mentors in your organization, find other people that you can learn from and try to pick up on that learning as soon as possible. And the reason I say that is because you won't realize you need it until you don't have it. So someone in your team, for example, wants to move to a different team or someone on your team has achieved a lot of success and it's time for them to move to the next level. How do you make that happen? All of that takes time. And so you need to build those relationships early. And Jake, with the fifth top-level bullet point for those aspiring to be managers of product managers. Yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying, Samia. It's, it's really important. My last one, which I think is a, is a really big difference between the IC role and the manager or the manager of managers role, is the vision that you need to bring to the conversation. And, you know, maybe when you're operating as an IC, you spend some time thinking about the two to five year. And I think that when you become a manager, your brain is often operating on that two to five year timeline much, much, much more frequently. And I think that, you know, you have to trust that your PMs are living the day to day. They're nodding to the future. And, you know, you're having those quarterly or monthly chats with them about what could be in the next two to five. All right. Those were the top five bullet points for the managers of product managers. And Amin, the dream has been waiting so patiently. So Amin, I want to remind you that we're recording today's episode and putting it out where everybody could find how to succeed in product management in their favorite podcasting app. Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, tune in, whatever you listen to, you could find how to succeed in product management and hear what Amin has to say, unless he's afraid of being recorded. Amin, the stage is yours. Well, uh, as a life coach, I would like, no, I'm just joking. (laughs) 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 That's what we've been waiting for. The life coach found his way on stage. (laughs) No, thank you. This has been amazing. Uh, amazingly useful and amazingly rich conversation. Oh, so just a, a word of thanks. Uh, so uh, anything to add? I have, I have a question, actually. I, I'm looking at this not as a product manager, but someone who wants to go into product management. What are the signals or, or the habits of highly effective product managers? Like, like what, what do they focus on? What, these people who you see and, and end up being very, very useful and high achieving and, and helpful to their teammates. So what are their habits? Thank you so much. I love this question, Amin. Thank you so much. And if you were a life coach, we would still welcome such brilliance here. So yeah, and I think this is especially important when you think about, as Sumeo was saying, that a manager of product managers has to hire product managers from time to time. And Jake, by the way, is hiring at Axon. So I'm going to put Jake on the spot. As you're hiring for these roles at, at Axon, what are some of the habits that you look for? Definitely. Since Axon is such a mission-driven company, I think one thing that's really important is that you have the passion that it can be a passion for life, but it also needs to be a passion for the product or the customer or the area that you are working. I don't think 
any of the PMs up here would say that being a PM is an easy job. There's a lot of hurdles to overcome. And to get through those types of hurdles, you need to be motivated. Oftentimes, being passionate kind of overlaps with being a self-starter, somebody that takes initiative, unblocks their own issues, and always brings solutions. So at a high level, that's what I would say is a fundamental, you will need this to succeed as a PM. Thank you, Jake. And then Aaron, a PM at Qualtrics. Qualtrics has hired almost every one of my former students who was in product management. So hiring spree, what are some habits you see on successful product managers? I totally agree with Jake. I think being able to get behind the mission is a good one. I would also add, it's like I said earlier, I think the one thing that you cannot teach is like ownership. Are you going to be accountable? And so I think that you couple that with, I would say a very, something that I think may get overlooked sometimes with PMs is being able to take the beginner's mindset. Cause we have to be, in some cases, we have to disseminate knowledge as Sumaya said across the organization. People, I feel like there's a ton of you get decision fatigue, you have different modes of communication. So I would say that in addition to the ownership, being able to be relentlessly curious and not let legacy thinking or other decisions prior affect how you're evaluating whatever challenge or problem you're trying to solve now. So the people that I've always been really inspired by are the people who are willing to continue to ask questions that you might think like, why is this person asking this question? But then you think about it, it leads to a better conversation or it leads to an insight that you may not have heard before. And so um, I think, yeah, just having that relentless curiosity, not being afraid to ask a bunch of questions is always something that marks the the good PMs that I've had the chance to work with. All right. And then Sumeya, you've been here every week on how to succeed in product management. Do you have more knowledge to give of habits of successful product managers? Well, <laughs> I, I frankly was thinking about the curiosity thing, uh, which Aaron just covered. I would add one last thing here. And this is a general one. It has applied to every single role I've hired for. And that's generally like the question of attitude versus aptitude. Over time, yes, the more senior people I hire, I want more of that aptitude. But in general, I over-index on the attitude thing. And the attitude thing has in it things such as, you know, the, the curiosity and the questions people ask, you know, that critical thinking the energy people bring to the conversation, uh, optimism, and like always looking for answers. So all of that has been covered. So I, I really don't have any anything else to add. This is a rare episode of How to Succeed in Product Management, where we've left Sumeya speechless twice and no red here for the comic relief. So I've tried desperately... <laughs> <laughs> poorly <laughs> to fill in the void. <laughs> Doing a great job, Jeff. Thank you, Aaron. This is I remember why you were a star student. Give me a laugh here and there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So Amin, thank you so much. That was a great question. Did you get what you were looking for with that? Yes, yes. And I'm going to be a self-starter with Aaron and Jake and touch up with them both those jobs. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. And Amin, you should also be a self-starter. Brian Shen asked a question on the events page in the Slack channel. Uh, he's at ClickUp and he's also hiring. He wanted me to make sure people know that. So be a self-starter. Reach out to Jake, Aaron, Brian Shen and uh, keep the dream alive. But um boom because his name is I mean the dream. And the, there we go. There we go. He's back. I'm back. Tip your bartender. All right. So uh, thank you so much. It's time for concluding thoughts. Sumeya, we've talked a lot about ICs and managing product managers and kind of some best practices. Any concluding thoughts for the audience you want to leave them with? Yeah, absolutely. I think what makes a product manager really successful, only 50% of that is what makes a manager of product managers really successful. But at the end of the day, I think what you probably got away from this conversation, it's all about making sure that the people on your team are successful in what they're doing. You can look back at your own managers and, and pick from what worked and what didn't. There are frameworks, things out there that you can leverage. One that I like a lot is Rework by Google. So if you look up uh, Project Aristotle and high-performing teams, you can find information there about that. The emotional intelligence framework I talked about earlier, just focusing on self-work, I think the best managers of people are people who themselves are, are healthy psychologically, are resilient are able to listen and give of themselves to their people. And last but not least, get mentors. So this is one of those areas that the more you read, 
is you don't get smarter by reading. You get really smarter by talking to people who have been in the trenches and who can help you work through some of these scenarios and, and some of the questions you might have. Thank you, Sumeya, and thank you for being here every week on How to Succeed in Product Management. We left you speechless twice here today, but that never happens, and it's okay that it does psychological safety, but it's great to have you sharing some valuable insights every time here on How to Succeed in Product Management. Speaking of mentors, before we get to concluding thoughts from our two guest panelists, Jake and Aaron, I do want to point out that uh, we are launching, the Product Management Center at the University of Washington is launching the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator this fall. So this fall, we have a goal, or I have a goal, to help 100 early career professionals from historically marginalized communities get their first product management role by June 2022. It's an ambitious goal, but how we're going to do it is we have a program designed by some product leaders uh, from Salesforce, Google, uh, Tesla, and Microsoft. They've collectively mentored over 100 people into $10 million in salaries, and they've designed a program where we're going to match people with a mentor. We are going to have some cohort activities, and you'll emerge from this program not just with some knowledge and some connections, but also with the community of support that we hope you take with you throughout your career. So it's the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator. We're starting this fall, and uh, there's lots of ways anybody here on this call could participate, whether you want to apply, if you have a proven potential for potential and drive to succeed as a product manager and to develop innovations that are inclusive to diverse audiences, or if you're a product manager and you want to volunteer to connect with some of the people we bring in. Or if you uh, work for a company that wants to hire some of these great people that we're going to select for this cohort program, uh, reach out to me, Jeff Schulman, and join us as we're on a mission to develop a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. And I'm going to turn it over now to Jake uh, because you brought up uh, how important it is to have diverse product teams and to manage them inclusively. So do you have any concluding thoughts today? Yeah, that initiative that you were just talking about, Jeff, sounds sounds really amazing, super important. And so, again, if there are folks out there, feel free to reach out to me. We are actively uh, hiring for PM roles, and the importance of having a diverse team is super important to Axon and myself. Final thoughts for me is, if you're hiring right, if you're going through the interview process in, in a proper way and assessing your candidates, your PMs are going to be high performers. And I would say that my final thought is that you need to motivate with accountability, get out of the way and trust them. And that's my mic drop. Mic drop. Awesome. Jake, thank you very much for being here today. It's great to see you, uh, your profile at least, and to hear the wonderful insights you have to share. Uh, so great to see your success since you were just an MBA student not too long ago at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business, a place where Aaron also got an MBA and also was a student in my pricing course and also has gone on to do some wonderful things and is also going to get a chance for concluding thoughts. Aaron, what do you have for us? Oh, man, this has been great. I really appreciate it. I'm humbled to be up here with Jake and Samia. I feel like uh, completely unqualified with these two. But no, I would say that my concluding thoughts, I really think that, you know, to build on what Samia said, you have to, like, to be a manager, it requires a ton of emotional intelligence. And I think that to be a product manager, as Jake said, you have to have a ton of resiliency because I 100% agree, it's not the easiest job. So you have to kind of have your, your own self and you have to know yourself really well. And to be able to be the calm in the storm and like create structure for other people to operate off of. Great PMs always have frameworks that they can use and apply in different settings, no matter what it is. And even if you don't end up using some of the ideas, like giving, being able to take the first leap and be able to give people some structure to operate off of is something that I think is an underrated skill for PMs. So I think that if this is something that you're passionate about, I would, I would also big plus one mentorship. And you don't have to necessarily... Um, have mentors that you talk to every day, although those are better. I would say that I study different product leaders that I don't necessarily know yet. I would love to meet them. One of them is a gentleman named Shreyas Doshi, who's a product leader in Stripe. One of the clearest product thinkers I've ever seen. Great. Um, there's also Deborah Liu, who is a product leader at Facebook, and I love the way she thinks 
um, and the way she articulates some of her ideas and her musings on PMs is just very, very powerful. So I would say don't be constrained. I mean, I think what Jeff, the initiative that you're going to do is going to be super powerful and probably the option one. But if you, there's other people that you could model your game after, so to speak, I would, I would say I wouldn't be afraid to look at some of the more notable product leaders that are in different industries that you're interested in. All right, Aaron, wonderful to have you here. Thank you for being here, both Jake and Aaron. Uh, Appreciate it. As you demonstrate what the Product Management Center at the University of Washington is all about, it's about enriching the lives of product managers. It's about helping product managers succeed and helping them develop products that are inclusive to diverse audiences. And really, that's all possible when product managers give back. And so Jake and Aaron have given back, gave back today, shared their valuable insights. And you, too, in the audience can give back through either appearing here on How to Succeed in Product Management, a podcast that we have every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time, or you could volunteer to help out some of the cohort members in the inclusive product management accelerator program that we are launching this fall. Or you could get your company uh, to sign up to help us and access, have priority access to the diverse talent that we're bringing in um, because we want to make sure that we're able to place all... We're going to have more than 100 people, but our goal is to help 100 early career professionals from historically marginalized communities land their first PM role by June 2022. We've got the team to do it, but we need all the help we can get. So reach out to me on Twitter, on LinkedIn, email me, or just check out the Product Management Center website or join the Slack channel. Gosh, there's just too much. They say focus, right? And here I am, just a fire hose of information and opportunities for you to connect with other product managers and to give back. But that's what this is all about, is giving back, getting help from people and just you know being collaborative as we develop a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. So that's all for today's show. I hope you'll join me next week, Tuesday at 4 p.m. on Clubhouse. Thank you, everybody. 